You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Dan Jetto. Hello and welcome to my home. I'm Pastor Dan Jetto, and it is my privilege this week to uh, preach for River Rock Church And I'm excited to bring you a message today. The title of the message is Faith That Survives the Fire. And it's taken from uh, Daniel chapter 3. And the key verses that I'll be focused on will be uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. So what I want to begin with is imagine facing unbearable pain, peril, and impending death. It is inevitable, it's unavoidable, and it's imminent. I mean, it's going to happen pretty soon. Then imagine in the midst of that, God walking with us, talking to us, comforting us, promising us what happens will be for his glory. And then he pulls us out and saves us. How would you feel? How would you feel to be in that position where you are about to die and Jesus pulls you out of that? How much more would we trust God for the rest of our lives? How much would it affect the rest of our lives? And that is the power of faith that survives the fire. It inspires even greater faith and the awe of the witnesses who see our faith as we come through that. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this type of experience, and we'll see that in Daniel chapter 3. And as we're reading that, I want you to think about the things that you see in here. One is the destructive power of pride, And secondly, is the constructive power of faith. So let's go to uh, Daniel chapter 3. And I'm going to just read this uh, quickly. It's uh, more verses than normally I would use. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, uh, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue. And then they stood before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A herald loudly proclaimed, People of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and every kind of music, People of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you. The king, they do not, uh, you, the king, they do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Now if you're, are, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace was extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around. They saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house will be made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So, first thing I want to go through is to talk about the destructive perils of pride. Because one of the things you'll notice is that pride is always self-focused. So in the beginning of this passage, Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image, a large image of gold, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. My guess is that it was based on the image from his dream as described in Daniel chapter 2, where there was a statue that had multiple layers and the top was gold. And when Daniel interpreted his dream, he told him the gold head of the statue was, was his, him and his kingdom. And so he then commanded the people that when the music was played, they were bowed down and worshipped this image. Pride, if given a chance to take root in our hearts, pro progressively becomes more and more destructive as we see in this chapter. So let's begin. The first peril of pride is a desire to have others worship us or what we do. 
So Nebuchadnezzar was seeking to have people worship a statue he had made. Most likely, he viewed it as representing him, or at the least, representing his kingdom. Pride is self-centered and not God-glorifying. We are called to bring glory to God, not ourselves. The second peril of pride as we progress is we get angry when our expectations are not met. Next, Nebuchadnezzar was told that some were not worshiping the image he created. In his pride, he became angry. And he called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the carpet because they refused to worship the statue. And the passage says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, I'm going to start calling him Nebi. I, I, Nebuchadnezzar is just a really long word. Nebi's pride turned his anger into hate. So his pride, because they wouldn't worship him and his statue, changes from anger to hate because they are defying him. The third peril of pride is we act on our anger. So Nebuchadnezzar, he had threatened these guys with a fiery death, and now he sins by going through with this threat. And he even wants to make their death more miserable, so he has the fire heated up to seven times more hot than it would normally be. And he has three men, the three men tossed into the furnace. The fourth peril of pride is that when we act on our anger, there is always collateral damage. When Nebuchadnezzar had the fire made hotter, it ended up killing some of his strongest soldiers. Pride is the root of rebellion and sin against God and others. It was the, the initial sin in the Garden of Eden. It, 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 it was the desire that caused Satan to fall. In Ezekiel, we see that. Um, so pride destroys us. And pride is also the destroyer of relationships. It is our pride that makes us unwilling to admit we are wrong or to apologize. It is our pride that insists on having our own way. It is our pride that makes us unforgiving. It is our pride that causes us to sin. And all sin destroys relationships with God and with others. And say it again. All sin destroys our relationships with God and with others. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about being servant leaders, he said this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So we choose the path of pride. Jesus is going to humble us, just as he humbled Nebuchadnezzar here, showing himself, God showing himself, that he was stronger than the king. Enough said. We must guard our hearts against pride. It will only bring our downfall. It will only hurt those that we love. So we move on to the constructive power of faith. Faith now is, is, is focused on God. Faith is focused away from ourselves to God. It is here um, that I want to throw in our bumper sticker for today. And that is, uh, faith exercised builds exponentially. Now, you see memes on the internet all the time about um, how I did not use algebra today. Well, I'm going to use algebra today in my message. Because when we talk about faith uh, exercise building exponentially, what this means is that when we take steps of faith or take stands in faith, we see God work through us and our faith does not grow by addition, it grows by multiplication. 
it grows exponentially. So it's like the graph of x squared when x is greater than or equal to zero. So if you take the graph x squared, it's like a big curve going, at, eventually it goes almost straight up. And that's what happens with our faith as we take those small steps at the beginning and God helps us to see him work through, through those small steps and it encourages us to take bigger steps and bigger steps and pretty soon we're shooting off like a rocket in our faith. To understand this event in the Bible, we also need to understand the background as it magnifies just how truly and amazing it is that these three men, plus Daniel, were willing to take these types of steps of faith. Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been royal children, or at least noble children, at a minimum. And they would have been part of the ruling class of Jerusalem, and their parents were killed, most likely, when Nebuchadnezzar overthrew the city. They were slaughtered by the Babylonians. And, and yet it did not deter them from, from following, continuing to follow God, even though they had just experienced this first injustice, a very uh, uh, impactful injustice it would be to see their parents murdered just because they were part of the ruling class. They didn't want the ruling class to go on. And a, a beginning that they had, which could easily have led them to give up on God. But they did not. Somewhere along the line, they made a decision to honor God no matter what their circumstances. And we see this in Daniel chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. And this is right at the beginning of the book of Daniel. And it says, among them, the Judahites, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief eunuch gave them names. He gave them the names Belteshar to Daniel, Shadrach to Hananiah, Meshach to Mishael, and Abednego to Azariah. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank, so he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel this kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, my lord, the king, who assigns your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking uh, thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and give them vegetables. So God honored that first step in faith. They did not want to defile themselves with the king's food. And we don't know if it was food that was uh, offered to idols and that's what they were concerned about, or if it was uh, food that would have been considered unclean by uh, Mosaic law. But they chose to do that. And not only that, after they are tested, they're called to serve the king with Daniel, and because, because of wisdom and understanding that God had given them as they increased their faith, and they served Nebuchadnezzar faithfully, and they served him well. It was their position, it was their position, and that they were favored by the king, that caused some of the astrologers to tell the king that they, that they were not following his edict. The jealousy and pride of the others uh, tried to destroy them. But what we see in, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and these three men requested not to eat the food from the king's table. Again, a small step in faith 
but God honored it and he used that then to help them grow and, and to honor uh, them with positions in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, kingdom. Now when, when Nebi uh, made his decree, they again decided that they would continue to only worship the one true God. God had already sustained them through the massacre of their families. God had provided them wisdom and understanding greater than their peers. God provided them positions that brought them comfort, standing, and authority. But now came the ultimate test of their faith. In, this, in the face of a torturous death, would they worship a false god to save their lives? Their replies show the depth of their faith, their knowledge of who God is and what he is capable of, and his great love for them. It is powerful. It is confident. It is determined and it's definitive. It is a final answer. In Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you, you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue of, uh, you have set up. Let me read that again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as the king to know we will not serve your gods or worship the statue you have set up. And then it happens. The king rages. He has the strongest soldiers bind them and has the fire heated to seven times hotter than normal. I can imagine there's slaves out there uh, with big bellows uh, blowing on the fire so it will get hotter and hotter, make it burn as hot as possible. These men were probably frightened, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they stood firmly in their faith, refusing to bow even at the cost of their lives and probably praying the whole time for God to save them from the situation. And they were probably praying that with all of their strength and they are thrown into the furnace. Now the soldiers who carried them up are burned to death by the blast of heat coming out of the furnace. Yet they are untouched in the midst of the flames. Nebi and the others see them walking in circles in the fire and a fourth person has joined them and is walking with them. Many believe that this is the pre-incarnate pre Christ, Jesus joining them in the fire. Can you imagine being thrown into a fire? Hot enough to kill soldiers who aren't even in the furnace, probably hot enough to melt brass expecting to die, instead finding yourself walking around in circles with Jesus completely unharmed. My holy imagination wants to ask, what did they talk about while they were walking around in there? Were they singing songs? I mean, what, what was going on? What was Jesus telling them as they walked in the flames? What joy they must have experienced that. What, and, and what did it feel like to be in the midst of the fire and not be burned? You know, we sing a song with lyrics that say, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And nothing formed against me will stand. You hold the whole world in your hands. 
I'm holding on to your promises. You are faithful. You are faithful. They lived this. They survived this in that fire with God walking alongside of them. Now, Nebi sees four of them walking around the fire and he calls them to come out. And three come out. And when they come out, the king and all of his advisors gather around him. These guys, they're gathering around these guys and the ropes are gone, but not a single hair on their head is singed. They don't smell like fire. Their clothes are just perfectly the same as they were when they went in. And I wonder if they were almost afraid to touch them. Or if they were trying to poke them to see if they were real or if they were ghosts. And they were amazed. And they should be. Nothing like this has ever happened before. And I can't think of any time where it's happened since. And Nebi steps back and he proclaims, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I issue a decree that anyone of, of, anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn from limb to limb and his house will be made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. There is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Jesus is that God. And then he rewarded these three men, the same ones he just tried to kill. So when we look at the constructive power of faith, the first thing we see is that faith that survives the fire is focused on pleasing God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, beginning in Daniel 1, choose to honor God by not defiling themselves with the king's food. They were making decisions all along the way to continue to honor God, including serving the king faithfully and honorably, even though that king did not follow their God. The second thing is faith that survives the fire does not fear humanity, but trusts God. Fear comes when we focus on ourselves, our circumstances, rather than on God's power and his sovereignty. When they told Nebuchadnezzar, no, we will not worship your statue, they knew the consequences and they knew Nebi had the power and the authority to throw them in the fire, but they said no anyway. Faith that survives a fire is not dependent on the outcome. These men did not know if they would survive or not, but this didn't matter to them. They would not dishonor God. They had already decided that they would only worship any only worship the one true God, even if it costs them their lives. Faith that survives the fire always brings glory to God. That's number four. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God would do what, what would bring him the most glory. If being martyred in front of the multitudes would cause more people to honor God, they said, so be it. If saving them would bring the most glory, all the better. Their faith was completely God-focused. They give us an example of what it means to fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love God with all our heart, our minds, our soul, and our strength. And as we see, God was glorified by Nebi, and Nebi made a new proclamation. He said that anyone who talked badly about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God would be severely punished. So how do we get that faith that survives a fire. 
How do we do that? What do we see in these three men that we can emulate? Well, the first thing is we can practice taking small steps that honor God. You think about what happened in Daniel 1. They requested permission to not, not to eat the king's food so they would not defile themselves. Is there one thing in our lives today that we could do daily that would honor God? Is there one thing you can think of that you could do daily that would honor God? Or is there something that we are doing today that we know is not God and honoring? And will we commit to ask the Holy Spirit to help us stop doing that? Either situation, we need the Holy Spirit's help. We cannot take these small steps without God's help, and He's willing to hold our hand and take us through that. Secondly, we can focus on trying to please God and not humanity. Remember what was read in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, our key verses, the answer that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave to the king. When our focus is on pleasing God, it is singular. If we try to please humanity, it's going to be multiple different things that we're trying to do at the same time, and we will never be successful because when we please one person, we're going to upset another. But we can singularly focus on pleasing God, and it will be consistent, and it will be uh, always be focused on the same thing, and it don't, won't matter what people think as long as we're doing what God wants us to do. We can focus on our victory in Jesus. Even though these three men were victimized, their families were murdered, they were deported, they were threatened and thrown in a fire, they never played the victim. They always played the victor. They were living out the truth found in Romans 8, 35 through 37, when Paul wrote, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We see this in their answer to Nebi. Even if we die, it is okay. Because our faith is in God, and our God always wins. Our God always wins. We can praise God even when things don't go the way that we wanted. Nebi gave praise to the true God. I can guarantee you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did too when they walked out of that fire. As did many others, including those who felt guilty for bowing down under Nebi's orders because they knew that they had dishonored the God that they had been following. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18 says this, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say rejoice only when life is good, but even in the persecutions, the trials, and the difficulties, and in the good times too, uh, we should be rejoicing, we should be praying, we should be giving thanks, for that's God's will for us. It is a reflection of our faith when we can rejoice and thank God because we trust Him even when we don't understand what or why things are happening to us. I titled this message, Faith That Survives the Fire. Note, it is not titled, Faith That Saves Me From the Fire. 
There was no guarantee for these three men that they would survive the fire, but their faith would, even if they did not. And without faith, we cannot please God. Hebrews 11:6 says this, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I'm going to finish with a true story out of the Soviet Union uh, before the Berlin Wall fell. And I recorded this earlier. So I, I'm going to just pray quick and then we're going to go to that story of a Russian man who, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, did, took small steps in faith, was persecuted and almost killed, and yet God honored his faith and it grew continually. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can praise you, that Jesus, even when we are facing fire and destruction, that Jesus, when we cling to you, you will make it so that it brings you the most glory and we will be fine. Even if we die, Lord Jesus, we will be fine because we'll be uh, in your will and we will be resurrected and be with you in, in, the, in those end times. Jesus, I pray that you'd bless all who have heard this and you'd help each one of us to take small steps in faith. And I pray that you'll use this story that is shared to bring your name glory. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning and welcome to my patio. I wanted to end my message a little differently this week. I have a, a story that's taken from the book The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. And it's a true story of a, a man from Russia who was persecuted. And so let's read this. Uh, as I read this, uh, please listen. In the days of the communist takeover, a boy named Dmitri lived in the, with his Christian parents in a village about four hours north of Moscow. He and his parents watched as a new government began to destroy churches and kill pastors. By the time Dmitri grew to be a man, the nearest church house was a three-day walk away. One day Dmitri said to his wife, I am concerned that our sons are growing up without learning about Jesus. Let's gather our family together one night a week. I will read and explain to them the Bible stories we used to learn in church. And so they did. Soon the boys grew familiar with the Bible stories and began to take turns telling them. They started asking, Papa, can we sing the songs they sing when they go to the real church? It seemed only natural. After they'd been reading and singing together, to also pray together. The village was small and the walls of the house was thin. Some of the neighbors heard what was going on and asked if they could join the family in discussing the Bible and singing and praying together. When the group grew to 25 people, the authorities threatened Dmitri. If you don't stop these meetings, bad things will happen to you, they said. Still Dmitri and his family kept on, and still the neighbors joined them. When the group grew to be about 50 people, Dmitri was fired from his position at the factory, and his wife lost her, teach her school teaching job. Their sons were expelled from the school. Still the group continued to grow. When it had grown to 75 people, the house was so crowded that at a meeting time, people sat cheek to cheek and crowded around the windows outside. One day, an officer came to the meeting, pushed through the crowd to Dmitri and roughed him up. If you do not stop this nonsense, this will be the least that happens to you, he yelled. A tiny old grandma stood to her feet and waved her finger in the, at the officer's face. You have laid hands on the man of God and you will not survive, she said. Three days later, the officer died of a heart attack. 
The fear of God swept through the village, and at the next meeting, 150 people showed up. The officers couldn't let this go on. Dimitri went to prison for 17 years. Dimitri's cell was so tiny he could cover its distance in a single step to the door, a single step to the sink, a single step to the toilet. He was tortured, but worse to him than the torture was his isolation from other Christians. There were 1,500 hardened criminals in that prison, and he was the only believer. Two spiritual disciplines, passed down to him from his father, kept Dimitri's faith strong. One uh, discipline was this. Every morning at daybreak, he would rise from his bed, face the east, and stand at attention. Then with his arms raised, he would sing a heart song to Jesus. Of course, the 1,500 angry criminals reacted the way you would expect. They jeered, banged cups and bars, and threw catcalls and food and sometimes human waste. Dimitri continued his practice anyway. The second discipline that kept him strong was this. Whenever he found a tiny scrap of paper in the prison yard, he would sneak it back to his cell and with whatever pencil stub or piece of charcoal he could find, write whatever Bible verses or songs he could remember. At the edge of his cell stood a concrete pillar that constantly dripped water, except in the winter when the water froze. Dimitri would take his scrap of paper filled with verses and songs and stick it as high as he could on that damp pillar. It was his praise offering to Jesus. Of course, whenever an officer found the scrap of paper, he would take it down, read it, and beat Dimitri and threaten to kill him. But Dimitri persisted. The authorities continued to torture Dimitri physically and mentally. Finally, they led him to believe that his wife had been murdered and his children taken by the state. At this point, Dimitri broke down. You win, he told the authorities. I will sign whatever confession you want me to sign. I must get out of here and find my children. We will prepare the paper saying you do not believe in Jesus and that you are a paid agent of Western governments, they said. You will sign the confession tomorrow and then you will be free to go. That night, Dimitri's wife and son sensed through the Holy Spirit that he was in trouble. With Dimitri's brother, they gathered in a circle and prayed aloud for him. Dimitri, despairing in his cell, heard their voices through the miraculous power of the Spirit and heard the prayers they prayed for him. The next morning, when the officers brought the document for him to sign, he was a renewed man. I know that you lied to me, he told them. My wife and sons are still alive and they are still in Christ. I will not sign your paper. One day, Dimitri was overwhelmed by the tremendous gift from God, a whole sheet of paper lying in the prison yard with a pencil beside it. He sneaked the paper and pencil back to his cell and filled it with every verse, every Bible story, every song he could recall. Then he stuck that entire sheet of paper as high as he could on the concrete pillar, his praise offering to Jesus. Of course, an officer found it, and Dimitri was beaten and punished and threatened with death. The official dragged him from his cell and down the concrete corridor toward the courtyard, the place of execution. But before they reached the door that led to the courtyard, an amazing thing happened. 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention beside their beds. 1,500 criminals faced to the east, raised their arms, and began to sing a heart song. Dimitri's heart song to Jesus. The officers dropped Dimitri in terror. Who are you? One of them asked. I am a son of the living God, Dimitri told them, and Jesus is its name. 
Some time later, he was released and returned to his family, where he lived to be an old man. This is a modern-day story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a man who was taking small steps of faith and desired to honor God no matter what the consequences. And as he did that, he was punished, he was tortured, he experienced all sorts of victimization, but yet he remained the victor because he held strong in his faith. He had a faith that survived the fire, and it began with little steps in his family, uh, singing and praying and sharing the gospel uh, with his kids, and it grew to what it was. This is the type of faith that I hope that each one of us would have, and that we would begin to take those same types of small steps of faith so that God can use us and build us up and cause our faith to grow exponentially as we see Him work in our lives. Just beginning to, uh, sun's just beginning to come up in, uh, in my yard this morning. A time when Dimitri would be lifting his hands and singing his heart song to Jesus. I pray that as you have listened to this message, as you've heard this story at the end of my message, that each day that you too would raise a heart song to Jesus and begin taking those small steps in faith. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. And may God bless you this week. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping. E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.